Hello and welcome back to Insemination, the podcast that is everything donor conception. My name is Laura High. I am your chaotic sperm donor baby of the podcast world. And as always, I am very excited for this next podcast episode. It is a little bit of a different beat for us, but I think it is a good idea for us to interview all people that are connected to the fertility industry so that we can better understand how this freaking industry works. So today we are interviewing Mackenzie Caldwell, who is a registered dietitian who specializes in pregnancy and fertility. Mackenzie's clients are intended recipient parents and Mackenzie, because of that, works with the fertility industry. So Mackenzie has a very interesting point of view that I think is really important to hear. Also, Mackenzie is going to share with us some really awesome nutritional nourishing facts to help our bodies support fertility, which is absolutely fantastic. And I'm just really excited to learn more about her perspective and what it's been like working in her field. And as always, let's get a little bit of housekeeping out of the way before the, uh, before the episode starts. Please remember to like, subscribe to Insemination. Please leave a comment. Watch us on YouTube. Remember, the whole thing is filmed for all of our visual learners out there, which certainly includes myself. Also, remember, I am a stand-up comic, and all of my shows are listed on my website, www.laurahighfive.com. Please follow me on social media so you get daily videos about random things about the fertility industry and also just random comedy videos as well when I just have to have a break from talking about the fertility industry. And you know what? Let's not waste any more time. Let's just get to the episode and welcome Mackenzie on. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mackenzie. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. It is my pleasure. I know that this is like a little bit of a different pace than like people who I would normally interview on this podcast, but I think that it's sort of the more that I I am diving into the donor conception world and I would say the fertility world, the more that I'm realizing like, oh, if we have the big umbrella of for fertility industry, the donor conception column is not just the only issue. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit more widespread. And I think it's really important that we sort of identify all of the problems so that recipient parents can, again, go in educated because that's what we want. We want intended recipient parents educated and supported to make the best choices they can. Yeah. Um, so I would love to first hear what you do, what your background is, what made you, what inspired you to, to do this? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like as you introduced me, I'm a registered dietitian. So I, um, have been in practice for about five years now. Um, I always wanted to be a dietitian. I'm just a nerd who loves food and <laughs> loves talking to people. Um, I love and- a nerd who loves food. Like that sounds perfect. Like, <laughs> oh my God, this is a great, like that. What a fantastic way to label a nutritionist. I mean, yeah, we, uh, the good ones of us are all foodies. Um, unfortunately, a lot of us also have eating disorders, <laughs> Yo, <laughs> which is a problem fives. in high and fives of itself. That. Oh yeah. no, I, I, yeah, no, I have, I have my, I have my, my flavor of eating disorder as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm right there with you too. So mm-hmm. kind of my own struggle with food definitely influences my work. And I take a really, really body positive approach to my work. Um, I love that. that makes me really happy that that <laughs> exists. That's what I really like that. That's just the world really needs that. Like, oh my God, especially. Yeah. I can, I can't speak for other countries, but certainly in the United States. Oh my God. 
Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. It's, it's bad. I think, um, the world of dietetics is definitely getting better, but there's, yeah, there's some, there's some problematic individuals out there. We'll leave it at that. Um, no, I I've never had my that. own children, <laughs> but, um, like I said, I'm just a nerd and, um, kind of just kept getting drawn back to, um, maternal nutrition and, mm -hmm. uh, reproductive health. And um, have just always found it really interesting and found that there was a really big need for weight inclusive um, care. So essentially care for people in larger bodies or people in any body that's not focused yeah. on body size control or weight loss or anything like that, but it's actually focused on truly nourishing bodies at any size. And the um, that exists within the medical world is, is absolutely, it's, it's genuinely disgusting. And I, I mean, mm -hmm. I've experienced fat phobia with like my doctors. Um, but like, as I've been communicating with more and more recipient parents, the fat phobia, um, that they are dealing with from the fertility industry is like, I swear it's on another level. It is absolutely horrific with some of these parents. And I'm like, so we're just taking the infertility trauma and we're just like, drilling holes into it. Yeah. We're just like, no, we're going to make it even worse. Yeah, absolutely. Horrible. And I'll get parents um, coming to me for support, honestly, mostly because they felt totally fine with the way that they were eating. Mm -hmm. And then they find themselves facing infertility and have to go seek out care. And all of a the sudden they're terribly triggered all over again, whether they're in a larger body or not. Um, it's just a very vulnerable population that's being manipulated in a lot of different ways, but people are kind of trying everything to get pregnant. That includes diets. That includes all of the stories that you share on your podcast. Um, and it also includes being told that they have to be in a smaller body to have a healthy pregnancy or to even be able to access fertility care period. So there's a lot of, um, honestly just holding space that I do in my mm -hmm. sessions. It turns into a lot more kind of nutrition counseling and nutrition therapy, you know, within my scope of practice as a dietitian, I can only take it so far, but, um, yeah, it's, it's really heartbreaking how much anti-fat bias there is in the fertility world. Um, thank you for doing that. Like, seriously, thank you. That is so fucking needed. Um, so I really appreciate that. Um, as somebody who has an eating disorder, thank you. Uh, and somebody who has always been, um, you know, never a con never con like I I've never been in a, a conventionally thin body, and I've always had to deal with fat phobia literally my whole life. So mm -hmm. seriously, thank you for that. Uh, but for us who are, I would say, more new to your world, um, just so that we can understand. So you are a registered dietitian. Mm -hmm. What does a registered dietitian mean exactly versus like a nutritionist? Yeah. So it's like a square rectangle kind of thing. Okay. So all dietitians are nutritionists, Okay. but not all nutritionists are dietitians. Okay. So in the United States, the word nutritionist is not a regulated term. So God, okay. Pretty much anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. I think I've seen like maybe one or two state laws here or there that say they're regulating it, <laughs> but they're not. Um, and the practice of medical nutrition therapy is okay. what registered dietitians do. So we are providing um, nutrition counseling and uh, making recommendations and providing nutrition care for a, um, it, it can be just for preventive 
wellness purposes, but it can also be to treat a specific medical condition. So we work in all different areas from in the hospital prescribing two feeds to kind of like what I do in the outpatient setting to food industry and lots of other different places too. Um, so essentially the term registered dietitian is kind of a guarantee that this person at least has the training to be considered, um, an evidence-based practitioner. There are we many love evidence-based. <laughs> we love it. Great. We love yeah. that. Oh, and there that are is... totally nutritionists that are, don't have the RD credential that are really great practitioners too. Um, but the term RD just is like a little bit more of a guarantee that we've got the good training. I, with, with the amount of, I would say toxic behavior that with it exists within the umbrella that umbrella, I think that it's like, it's, it's nice to have a little bit more of an actual credential instead of just like, um, somebody who is a, I'm going to say a nutritionist content creator, who's just, you know, saying stuff for views and, and like, uh -huh. yeah, it, yeah, it gets a you little know, scary. Our Pilates, Pilates princess with a six pack. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> selling like, you, selling you, um, her, her supplement, a, 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 a green powder yeah. who, who shall be not, not be named. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it's, it's just, it, it, it gets a little dicey. And, uh, one of the things that I, I see you address a lot on your channel, which I love that. I think it really reflects on that is you, you talk about how important it is to eat yes. and you talk about how not eating actually is going to affect your fertility and that was very actually that actually was very impactful to me and helped me out a lot oh my gosh um, it's great to hear well it well it, like just to to you know put this all out there like yeah. I I struggle with binge eating disorder but then I flip-flop into anorexia really quickly mm -hmm. and so for me trying to lose weight in order to you know quote unquote get healthier you know because I, I again I struggle with that bullshit um, you had a video, I think it would had to do with like, you know, people who want to, um, lose weight for their wedding. They're like, you know, and you're starving yourself. They're like, that can impact your future fertility. Yeah. And you actually, that video honestly has made me like, stop and go like, no, Laura, you're not, no, today you're, you're not going to eat 500 calories. You're going to eat more because I'm like, no. Um, so I want to personally say thank you because you, you honestly, on those days where I've had like those anorexic, um, triggers, a lot of your videos have made me go, no, you're going to eat. Oh, I, so, I appreciate that. It makes me, it makes me blush a little bit, but I'm really glad no, to seriously, hear that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one reason why I create content like this is because, you know, not everybody, um, is ready to see a dietitian or wants to see a dietitian. Yeah. Um, or some people don't even necessarily need that like full one-on-one -on -one care. Yeah. Um, but at least I can get something out there to combat all the straight bullshit that is on TikTok and Instagram. Um, yeah. I'm hoping <laughs> you saying that gives me a lot of hope that at least like me repeating myself on the internet is like, having it, it's a little bit more than a drop in the bucket at least for one person <laughs> no it, it and I and I want you to know that like no I I'm like it really did like there you know it really stopped me from going like no 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 no, no. I, I want my body to actually fucking heal maybe yeah. maybe I shouldn't maybe I should eat more than 500 calories today maybe that might be a good idea 
So I, <laughs> so seriously, thank you. You, you at least made a difference for me um, with that. So thank you. Cause I get very, very easily triggered um, with yeah. eating and anorexia very, very easily. Uh, it's a fun time. Uh, it's, it's good. It, this is, this is what happens when, um, you know, I, I grew up in a household where my weight was always a discussion since I was like mm -hmm. six years old. So that's why, but anyway, um, one of the things that like, I've also been hearing from other, um, recipient parents is especially when it comes to nutrition, uh, mm -hmm. and with, um, healing is the, what they have felt a lot with the fertility industry is like they go in, their hormones aren't correct. Um, they're struggling to conceive and the doctors just immediately go, well, do IVF. Well, we're going to do donor conception. And anyone who's been listening to my channel knows like that costs a fuckload of money. Yeah. It's a shitload of money. And they're really, really pushed into those options instead of seeing, well, maybe we can regulate, maybe we can heal your body. Maybe we can like, maybe there can be like a little bit of a difference of introduction of like different foods that might help you heal your mm -hmm. body. And that's something that I've been hearing from recipient parents. Is that also something that you see, or is that just sort of like a one-off with maybe some people I've talked to? Yeah, I think some people will um, come to me, um, they come to me for a variety of reasons. Some are starting the IVF process already, like they have mm -hmm. kind of at least had, um, they didn't feel too pushed, but they're like, you know what, we're going into assistive reproductive technology, we want to try everything, we want to just make sure that mm -hmm. we're checking the boxes with nutrition, cross our T's, dot our I's, do the whole shebang. Um, some folks are, um, not going to do IVF for religious purposes. So they're going to try literally anything else besides that. And then, um, others do feel that pressure and they're like, whoa, 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 hold up. I think I want to try some things that are a little less invasive and expensive first and see it's where I can go. Cause how much does like on average, like IVF, it like starts at like $10,000, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And we also have the kind of like something where I'm sitting at right now. I'm, I just turned 30. Um, I feel a lot of pressure to feel like I need to have kids before 35, which is so BS, right. But freezing yeah. my eggs would be $10,000. And then you had to keep them frozen. Yes. Which is insane. Um, and then I I'm like, oh, should I sell my eggs? And then I watch your content and I yeah. think, no, I'm not going to sell my eggs because <laughs> of everything I've heard from Laura. So yeah, it's, I, it's nuts. Yeah. We, I, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's not about it for me. It's just like, I don't know. Maybe it's, I, I just feel like with, when it comes to egg, when it comes to egg selling, it's just like, just remember, just remember there's not been any research on long-term side effects Yes, Do with that information that you will. And yeah. I think what I, what interests me more is the lack of regulation, like, um, and the fact that people might not have access to my medical record. Um, yeah. if, and knowing that I do have the history of certain medical conditions and things like yeah. that, that, um, could be passed on genetically. So anyways, that I find really interesting about your content. And I've definitely told a couple of my, um, my clients about it for sure. But yeah, I think especially when we're um, thinking about um, people who have hypothalamic amenorrhea, which Ooh, is when you that? lose your, yeah, that's when you lose your uh, period because of under eating and over exercise. Oh. Usually it's associated with very low body weight, but it can happen at any body size. I have okay. seen it happen to people at a quote unquote normal weight, even people in larger bodies as well. Um, and so sometimes these folks, especially if they are in their like mid thirties, will get pushed straight to IVF when really what they need is just eating disorder recovery. 
they just need to eat more food and probably gain some weight so that their body has the energy on board to be able to ovulate yeah, consistently. Yeah, but that doesn't, but that, that, that's, that, that's not profit driven. Why would we do, why? And that's the thing that we keep learning about the fertility industry is what's more profit driven. Yeah, it, we definitely lose sight of the patient quite a bit when it comes to fertility care. Absolutely. And, you know, with PCOS too, um, oh, yeah. that's another condition where um, nutrition does have an impact. We can do a lot with blood sugar management um, that does not involve keto or intermittent fasting or crazy weight loss. Could you <laughs> define what PCOS is in case anyone yeah. doesn't know? Mm -hmm. So PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of a misnomer because some people don't actually have cysts on their ovaries when they have PCOS, but it's both an endocrine and a metabolic condition where we see higher levels of um, androgens like um, testosterone. And um, usually it's associated with some insulin resistance, which is essentially like a little bit higher blood sugar mm -hmm. that impacts hormones and then can then impact egg quality and how frequent frequently you ovulate. So a lot of what I do with my PCOS patients is work on blood sugar regulation, and that can get them ovulating a little bit more regularly. Sometimes they still need IVF, but at least we can improve their chances and mm. possibly reduce how much they end up having to spend on IVF if we can make those, those cycles a little bit better as well. Um, so, yeah. And there's also this kind of misconception that there's nothing we can do about male infertility as well, that nutrition doesn't have an impact, which is false. We have a lot of newer research showing that there is a lot of nutrition that we can do to improve sperm quality and um, count and things like that too. So would you mind sharing some of that? Yeah. So Without, like, I mean, obviously like <laughs> I, I want you to like, you know, have your job and I want people to like, obviously use you and pay you what you, what, what you are due. So I don't want you to like, you know, uh, give information that you're like, oh, I really need to like keep this for my job, but like anything you're comfortable sharing, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to share. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think where it's, the thing is like, you can Google some of this stuff. It's not mm -hmm. like that I always feel weird about that. Like, oh, I'm not going to tell you, but then you could go Google it. Like, it's not that big of a deal. You know, what yeah. is helpful about working directly with a dietitian is the, um, the counseling piece. So helping to kind of troubleshoot, like, okay, why am I having so much difficulty figuring out how to incorporate more fruits and vegetables, or what do I need to do to build up a routine with consistent, mm -hmm. adequate exercise, things like that. Um, so I don't mind sharing a little bit, but there's a lot of, oh, go ahead. Do you feel like the, uh, just as, just a, as a side thing with like incorporating fruits and vegetables into one's diet, uh -huh. do you feel like it is a no access to produce is a problem that you're finding a lot? Do you feel like it is a monetary issue? Do you feel like it is an eating disorder issue? Um, like where, what in your practice so far have you found is like one of the biggest blocks? Yeah. So unfortunately, because I, it, it, Oftentimes it is a monetary issue, but not with my patients because the people that can access me have the money for fruits and mm, vegetables. Okay. So that sucks to um, acknowledge, but if we were to look at it on a larger scale, um, that would definitely be an issue for yeah. sure. Food access is and poverty are always going to impact nutrition status and are one of the biggest factors when we look at um, kind of nutrition on an epidemiological scale. Mm. So um, my population usually has I, I take insurance and or private pay. Um, oh my god, we take insurance. 
that's what we do take insurance that currently blue cross blue shield we'll see about Aetna we're waiting for the 60 to 90 I days um so usually the biggest blocks are um not knowing how to cook them um mm. sometimes we literally just need to set goals be like okay yeah I know I need vegetables and I literally just need to commit to getting some more in and sometimes it's a little bit eating disordery in that um sometimes there's this kind of diet rebel voice that can up, come up for people when they say like okay I have to eat vegetables but that feels like a diet and I'm trying to protect myself from my eating disorder behaviors and so then it's a rejection and a backwards and a, I can't do that so sometimes we have to kind of sit with that discomfort and mm -hmm. reframe that thought and be like, wait, this isn't a diet. Mackenzie's a safe person. <laughs> she's not, <laughs> she's not trying to make me eat only salads. Like we're trying to incorporate fun vegetables. This is a self-care thing and just kind of like working. It's through not subtraction. It's adding. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. I, I, I mean, obviously anybody who has like sensory issues like that, that's that not too. what I'm talking That that's, you know, uh, I totally understand. And you know, what I'm about to say does not affect people who have sensory issues because sensory issues are a real thing but I am convinced when it comes to like a lot of vegetables and fruits um that you know because I talk to so many people like I don't like this vegetable I don't like that vegetable and I always ask them like how have you had it like how is yeah. it been for you and when they're like oh well it's only been cooked I've only eaten it this way or I've only eaten it that way I'm like okay all right we're gonna cook it in a fully different way yeah I think it's so much about the time. It's like how it is cooked is like, it can absolutely transform a dish, but obviously like there are people with like sensory issues where that's just not the case. And like, obviously mm -hmm. I don't want to like that. That's no. And we work on that too. Yeah. I do. Yeah. We work on that too. And sometimes the sensory issues, um, it takes some, some exposure, but sometimes it also is like, a, okay, how have you had it for prepared yeah. and what was the setting in which you tried it did it feel like really high pressure was like a parent telling you I had to clean your plate or something like that so there's so much that we can do um but yeah sometimes people get stuck in their own like fun funny behaviors too and um a little bit of black and white thinking like I had one uh, male fertility client who his only way of getting in vegetables was he was literally just eating raw spinach out of the bag <laughs> you know what get your bag. and I was like that's I, I love that for you you go Popeye but <laughs> that was a Popeye moment right there what, what what if we made a salad <laughs> what if we made that tasty to eat and so I'm hopeful that that helped him you're just eating it like chips I love it you know that's <laughs> Yeah, one way to make um but I I interrupted you so what what are some ways because you you said there was a myth that we can't help um we Male can't fertility. help with yeah people people who produce sperm what what are some tricks that um nutritionally that might be able to help with quality and fertility of sperm yeah so um it kind of depends on the particular issue as mm -hmm. far as like the the sub uh kind of subtopic or uh no subset so like, of well, intervention yeah bro, like so, I, but I, like the general in yeah. general we I mean I mentioned fruits and vegetables because honestly that's like one of the biggest things that Got we it. can do um eating a little bit more seafood can help um is there a particular and, seafood or is it any seafood it that also kind of depends slightly on the specific issue with the sperm quality but more seafood period does help okay. in general. 
Um, and then um, mixed nuts. I like to say nuts for your nuts. Nice. Um, <laughs> it works pretty well. Um, and I think there's, um, I feel like there's one other big one that I'm missing, but honestly, there's a really good book that, um, often I'll have people read, Mm -hmm. um, especially if I'm working with a couple and like one has blue cross blue shield insurance, so I can see them, but then the partner, um, like doesn't Mm. or, or for what, or their male partner does not want to see a dietitian, even though they probably should. (laughs) Um, there's a book called fueling male fertility by, um, Lauren, Lauren Manneker. And it's honestly more of a book or a pamphlet than a book. And it's really great. Um, she's a dietitian. Okay. I love a light read. Yep. It's great. It's like straight to the point has lots of great, um, up-to-date evidence-based interventions for male fertility. Can I, as somebody who is, cause like I'm, yeah, I've, I've said this a few times, like I'm hoping to start conceiving with my husband next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had my own fertility problems. I, I had, and so like Kim and I are like working on our own health and stuff mm-hmm. um, and trying to incorporate more fruits and vegetables. Um, I had a tumor on my pituitary gland. Oh um, yeah. It's benign. Um, it's gone away. And I'm just on medication to continue regulating my hormones and and all that fun stuff. Uh, but so we have seen like, you know, eat more seafood and stuff for for his own health. Um, but I, I have to say, like, you know, it, it's one thing when you when you Google because it, it's like, you know, you can find different things. Um, because wh- like one of the things that like as I've Googled, it's also been like um, I've seen like, you know, high mercury count, low mercury count. You need to eat this fit, you know, this fish for low mercury count. Is any of that true or is that just? It is, but it gets a little bit overblown. Like I think people think too much about it. Honestly, most of the regular fish that we eat, like salmon and um, cod and shrimp, like that kind of stuff is totally fine. Even the light albacore in the can is considered Mm -hmm. a medium mercury fish. But now there's brands like Safe Catch and... um, might be called like wild planet or something like that, that they specifically source low mercury tuna. So there's really only five fish that are high mercury that are ones that like you only eat. If you go deep sea fishing, it's, um, ahi tuna, big eye tuna. Oh gosh. I don't know if I'm going to remember. Oh, orange roughy swordfish, shark tilefish. And there's one more that I can't remember. And that's, you know, I can count seven, not (laughs) not five. Cause it's like, you know, as there's, we all know there's so much misinformation and just like siphoning through. It's like how much of this is like actually true versus not. And that was always Uh like, am I just like, am I becoming like psychotic reading? Like, you know, making sure that like all the fish and seafood I get, like, it's like, it has to be a particular amount or has to be a particular kind. I'm like, I just, sure. Um, but kind of going back to the fertility industry, what has, your experience been working with the, and I ask, this is a big question, but like, what has your experience been with working with the fertility industry? Uh, what have you seen and you witnessed that has really stuck with you? Let's say that. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of big egos and lack of willingness to coordinate care. You don't say in the fertility industry. What? Um, that was the nicest, most political way I think I could have ever said that. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Wow. Oh my God. You know what? I need you to be my anger translator. 
I speak to anyone from them. I need you to be just like, <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm going to be the angry version. You're the political version. So I'll be off yelling in the distance going like, what the? And then you're just going to be like, I think we're dealing with some big egos. I need you to see that. <laughs> oh my God. What I'm hearing is that we're a little um, stubborn with our viewpoints and unwilling to hear new information. <laughs> Uh, I believe that uh, any donor conceived people who are listening to here uh, to this, uh, I we were all taking a little bit of a chuckle together right now, going, "What?" <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and yeah, that's that's really frustrating because I the best thing that you can always do for a patient is coordinate care. And by coordinating care, you guys are all on the same page, helping the patient. In, to the best of your ability. Yeah, but that's common sense. And we've learned that the fertility industry does not enjoy that too much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, because again, that's not profitable. It It's a waste of their time, it's a waste apparently. Of, yes, it is a waste. To, Why would you do that? To speak with mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so I see that. And I think um, also just a lot of um, coldness and, um, not like the warmth that you would expect for people going through fertility treatment. Yeah. Um, you know, creating a life, building yeah. a family where you'd sort of hope where there might be some warmth, a gentle touch, a caring person, some empathy. Why would we have that? Why would we yeah. do that? Why? I see lack of communication, which makes zero sense. Um, this is so funny to me. <laughs> Because like I'm, I deal with this on my end, but that's because I'm a product of it. But hearing from somebody who works with it is also just hysterical to me. That I'm. I hope it's a little bit validating. <laughs> I, it's really validating that it's just like, oh, it's not just us bastard children from the fucking cr clinics and cryobanks. No. Oh my no. gosh. Yeah. Wow. So you're seeing it on your end as well. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. And um. And then I think on the, the BMI front, that's what really pisses me off is, um, there is what seems like random BMI cutoffs for being able to access care period. Some clinics will say you cannot access our fertility treatments unless your BMI is below X. Um, others will, um, that's just, it, that's horrific. I was speaking with a recipient couple um, mm -hmm. who was going through that and it was, I, I could not believe that that was a thing, that that was yeah. a thing. Absolutely. It, Absolutely. it 100% is. And it, that's where it's profit driven because if there is um, medical fat phobia just exists period. Um, in that people get different treatment when they go to the doctor. And so sometimes fertility treatment gets delayed because people are going to the doctor and hearing, well, if you can't get pregnant, you just need to lose weight and you'll get pregnant once you lose weight. Um, but then not only are they malnourished, but they're also putting off the treatment that they really need. So then age ends up being even more of a compounding factor in their infertility. And also, if you say that to a patient, chances are they're going to lose it in an unhealthy way. Like that, that, that is language yep. that triggers eating disorders. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then on top of that, there's just like, well, if um, I'm seeing one or two studies showing that people in larger bodies might not have as successful outcomes, then I want to protect my numbers at my clinic as best as I possibly can. And it's easy to say no to those people because medical fat phobia is just accepted. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I so, hate it here. I hate yeah. it here. That is disgusting. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Oh Sometimes we see that it's also kind of financial barriers that get put into place um, in that people won't get access to like a clinic scholarship or whatever they're calling it if your BMI is above a certain point. What's um, a, I, I've not heard of that term, clinic scholarship. So essentially, if you have um, a kind of like financial aid for okay. your um, your fertility treatment, and usually it's like something you have to apply for, and they can only get they only give out a certain number of them per year, and it's like a severely discounted or um, or possibly even free. IVF is this given cycle. out by the clinic? Is this given out by health insurance? Is this like who? By the clinic. By the by clinic. The clinic. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Is this and so every I've... clinic or is this just some clinics? Just some clinics. Okay. And I think all of them will, they usually have something on their website or you go in for a consultation and then they might tell you okay. about it. All right. Um, so that happened to one of my patients that she wasn't allowed to get access to fertility treatment, or she wasn't able to access the kind of financial aid that was offered. She qualified otherwise, but couldn't access that because her BMI was too high. Um, or sometimes anesthesia for, um, egg retrieval purposes. Sometimes they can do it in clinic. I guess a lot of the times they do Mm -hmm. egg retrievals in clinic, but, um, if your BMI is above a certain point, oftentimes they will make you go to the hospital instead um, which will increase costs as well oh my for God. you. So there are some fertility clinics that, uh, don't have a BMI cutoff and you can, you can look on their website and call them. I do that every once in a while with the local fertility clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh gosh, I'm, it's called Preg, um, Piedmont Re- Reproductive Endocrinology Group. Their BMI cutoff is 45, which at least is higher than other clinics. That what I've is seen. the typical BMI cutoff that a lot of clinics in, in, in state? Usually like 40. Um, sometimes it's arbitrarily lower than that. Sometimes they'll say like, oh, our BMI cutoff is this, but you have to get to exactly this weight and that'll make it like a BMI of 38.8 or something, something hasn't, crazy. Like the whole BMI thing, like also been proven to be not accurate, like in, and is not useful like it's just something that's like this this actually is not a reflection and not an active not a sorry I'm trying to use my words correctly because I'm so out of my depth right now um haven't we learned that the BMI is not a good reflection on anything to do with health like it's just it's kind of the AMA has come out with a statement on it this year what is the statement that we should de-emphasize the use of BMI in practice um, so yeah, that's a, that's a thing that has been said by major medical organization. And Does it get implemented in practice? Not really. I think I've actually with younger doctors, I'm starting to see that there's a lot more awareness of disordered eating of weight, inclusive care and things like that. Um, and a lot less pressure put on, um, BMI and the number on the scale. 
but medical weight bias persists and it will be around for a very long time. So you're telling me that the fertility industry who is being told, hey, don't do this for health and safety is still doing it because they want to. That doesn't sound familiar from anything that we've talked about on this podcast whatsoever. I'll give them a little grace in that the AMA did just come out with a statement in like any statement. It's going to take a really long time to make it into any type of medical practice. And I did see that there is some conversation. I know a dietitian friend of mine was at uh, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, and she posted a picture of a slide talking about this, how we need to increase access to care and we need to stop um, denying care to people above a certain BMI for all of these reasons. Um, and I was, as I was kind of brushing, I knew you wanted to talk about this topic. So I did a little bit of, Mm -hmm. you know, Google scholar research. And there was a, a paper that came out in 2022 that I can, um, send you, so you can link in this, that talks a little bit about that as well. So we're seeing people to start. People I mean, are talking I, I about did, it. I did protest ASRM, but I'm very happy that your friend did that. I'm very happy. Good <laughs> job. That did need to be talked about. Um, and I love that. I love that that was happening. I just wish that more donor conceived people were there and that like ASRM would actually support donor conceived rights, but that's why I love that your friend did that. Though. Yeah. I'm with you on that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but sorry, I interrupted you. Please, please, uh, please continue. I mean, honestly, that's kind of, that's pretty much it. Those are kind of like my, that's what sticks out to me about the fertility industry mm-hmm. as a whole is that we're seeing a heck of a lot of weight bias. We're seeing patients not be communicated with and not be cared for in the way that they should be cared for as people who are going through a really traumatic time in their life. Yeah. Um, And we are seeing doctors not want to coordinate care, wanting to say, you know what, this, my word is the end all be all fuck all the evidence. This diet is my, this diet is it. And I don't care what your dietitian says. I don't want to talk to her. What she says doesn't matter. I'm not even going to read her letter that she took time to write and send to me. (laughs) So what I'm, and and please stop me if I'm I'm hearing is what I'm hearing as sort of like a lot of the impact is the fact that they're not being inclusive to your work the fact that they are being exhibiting as much fat phobia as they are it sounds like they're almost compounding infertility trauma yep and obviously you know we're we're going to just end up and and they're pushing more of the i'm going to say more expensive treatments it sounds like i don't know that i can say that for certain totally um but I think that um, it's, it's, I think it's definitely complicated and obviously who isn't going to be motivated by money. Um, But we do, especially with older couples, um, older being above 35, (laughs) um, see there, there's a lot more kind of um, wanting to jump to the next step so that we don't allow age to compound in infertility. But um, I think then that sometimes can compromise the patient's um informed consent full informed consent for the patient for sure and then i think what ends up happening at least on the back end which is what um our community deals with is that infertility trauma then delightfully travels and then that is something that the recipient parents the donor conceived people all get to join in and deal with together 
Oh my gosh. So it really, it, it's just, there's just so many bullying tactics that I feel like they're, they're sort of like bullied um, with the fertility industry, with the doctors. And as you said, the lack of compassion is just, is really upsetting to hear. I mean, it's like this, like in my, in my personal opinion, like this is family building. This should be a joyous, happy time. This should be wonderful. This should be exciting. This should be filled with opportunities. This should be, um, this should be wonderful. And the fact that it is as triggering and traumatizing as much as it possibly could is so upsetting to hear of what so many recipient parents have to go through. Because like, and I'm I'm just thinking about it like with everything, because like you know now like obviously because you know they're dealing with fat phobia, they're dealing with you know are are they worried about like holy shit I'm in a state where fertility fraud hasn't been passed, how like there's just so much now to worry about. Um, now obviously I know that you know there there's only so much you can do in terms of like recipient parents um can do financially and there might be some bounds some obstacles but in your opinion are if their clinic or their doctor is exhibiting x y and behavior are there any red flags that recipient parents maybe should in your opinion avoid and if it is possible go seek care somewhere else i think one of the big ones is i think i i wish that more parents would be willing to travel for fertility care um, if you're going to spend this much money on fertility care, of course, like it makes sense why you would want to, um, find somewhere near you. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is sometimes better care that can be accessed that is within driving distance. However, like here in North Carolina, um, there's really not that many options and all of them have something wrong with them, <laughs> whether that's a doctor that's, um, not being, not willing to, um, coordinate care or, um, is just like really strict and rude. Um, or, um, one that has a really strict BMI cutoff or, mm -hmm. um, one that is not communicating with you. Well, the communication piece is the biggest one. If you are not getting um, well communicated with from the get-go, you do not want to proceed with, do, do not give them another chance. Just cut it off and go find somebody else. Okay. Um, but I think it takes a lot of privilege to say, um, or, or to be able to go find another yeah, I mean, option as well. Yeah. So sometimes people do end up getting stuck and that really, that really sucks. But, um, I will encourage my patients to drive at least somewhere else if they can. What are some green flags that are, that you're like, I would look for this. Yeah. Some green flags, um, would be, um, kind of outlying or, or lining out exactly what the protocol is exactly what all of the expenses are. Um, and giving you referrals to other supportive, um, allied health professionals like a dietitian or an acupuncturist or something like that, um, openness and willingness to communicate with any other medical providers that you've had and taking the time to work with you, um, and sit down with you and talk about finances and figure out like, what is the best option for you? Mm -hmm. And, um, what we want ultimately is patient centered care. You are the customer here. You are paying a shit ton of money for this and you deserve 
all of the best treatment, um, you deserve VIP treatment. <laughs> so don't be afraid to demand that. Yeah. I mean, like there's recipient parents who take out a second mortgage on their house in order yeah. to pay for this. You demand the fucking red carpet. Okay. Demand it. Like you deserve it. Yes. Oh my God. Like it, it is. I absolutely, what recipient parents pay is astronomical. And the fact that they, and I've always, it, it always gets stuck in my head that they're paying that much money for absolutely for for an industry that has no regulations i should say very few regulations and that is that to me is the most terrifying piece of it and i think that like what you deal with it also reflects on that in a in a different light but it just it really shows that this is the doctor's show this is all about their ego not i mean i know there are some good doctors in the fucking industry i know you exist out there like, <laughs> i know you're there i'd like you to be more vocal sorry get on tiktok we want to see you like come on <laughs> say something okay like um, well there was a um when i went to the asrm conference in 2022 and i was a total dick to everyone i met and i just was like i don't give a shit but then there was like a couple people who literally came around me and whispered in my back ear i love what you do don't stop and then they like ran away from me because it was like <laughs> they couldn't be seen with me and i was like this is hysterical so it's like, I know you assholes exist. Say something. There's enough of you. A lot of you don't like your industry. Say something. Yeah. Yeah. Say it. Yeah. It's okay. And it's like you, we only the industry, the way that it exists only has power because you give it power. And there's enough good people in there. Unplug that power. Unplug your little, like, stop feeding it. Unplug yeah. it. Call it out. Um, but I also know that there's a lot of people terrified to talk. There's a lot of people scared and it just, it sucks. Um, but there was, there was a thought and then my ADHD took over and now my thoughts somewhere on the floor. I have to find it again. Where the fuck did that go? For, for any couple who, who is out there, who is like, I have, I have no money. I I'm very, I'm very broke. And they're like, but what are some like basic things that I can do that are not going to cost that much money that are mm -hmm. decently affordable that I can help to nourish my body, as we said, that are ads, not minuses mm -hmm. um, that me and my my partner or just myself can do to make our fertility a little bit healthier so that we don't maybe it can cut down on our chances on needing reproductive assistance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or as much as you say. Yeah. Um, the only minus is to quit smoking. Please stop smoking. Stop vaping. Um, unfortunately, weed seems to have an effect on sperm quality and possibly egg quality too. So should probably take a break okay. from all the drugs. <laughs> um, that's I'm, the I'm only minus to my listeners out there. That was, I think, I think I just heard a heavy sigh of just like, <sighs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, can I ask, uh, alcohol? Um, alcohol isn't quite as big, but still does have a pretty big effect. And, um, so what we're looking for, what that's, I end that, up recommending. That's my, that's my realm is like, uh, how bad is the alcohol? <laughs> that's, that's the one that I'm like, ah, shit. Yeah. And it's not just that, um, if you get pregnant while you're drinking, then your baby could have fetal alcohol syndrome. Yeah, like, no, that no, is no. definitely thing, no drinking right? while pregnant. Yeah. That one. Yeah. I but um, the 
um, effect on like hormones and fertility and just general well-being mm-hmm. um, can be seen at like even if you have even like moderate drinking, we see an increased risk of breast cancer for people assigned female at birth. So I recommend a couple drinks a week versus okay. even like if you're having a glass of wine every night, I would cut it down to like just on the weekends or three days a week or something like that. Okay. Um, and usually kind of like- <laughs> right. Yeah. It doesn't okay. have to just, dis- yeah, it doesn't have to disappear. Um, but if you oh, are finding God. that you are binge drinking, that you start drinking and then all of a sudden you're seven drinks deep and you're like, I don't know how that happened. Hmm. Then we might need to maybe take a trip down sober road just for a little bit and see what happens there. Um, alcohol is really bad for us. It's really bad. I teach an intro nutrition course at a local college in South Carolina. Um, <laughs> and I taught a lecture on alcohol, which is hilarious when you're talking to, um, to freshmen, but, um, I so checked in just with like them. the, that, that is like, you are, you are the bad news bears of that situation. I was the bad news bears for sure. I checked in with them like a week later, like, okay, like, so what did you, we take away from that? And somebody raised their hand and they're like, alcohol is really bad for us. And I was like, okay, did anybody change their drinking behavior? And they're like, it's only been a week. We had homecoming. <laughs> so I that get it. Would have been my answer at 18 as well. I would have yeah. been like, fuck you. I will. <laughs> you know what? ignorance is bliss I'm no longer I would have 100% yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely so yeah cutting down on drinking it doesn't have to disappear um okay. and when we're talking about things to add in we already talked about fruits and vegetables um Love our honestly if you stop listening right now and just eat more fruits and vegetables that's great does Making that sure include you... frozen fruits and vegetables yes. that include and canned and canned okay yep and Thank dried you and dry okay Look at that. I love that. All of All it right. counts. All of it I... counts. One of my favorite snacks personally and to recommend is trail mix because you're getting some carbs, some protein, some fat, some fiber, some antioxidants, and it's tasty, shelf-stable, on the go. We love it. Um, is it all nuts or is there particular nuts that are uh, nuts and seeds that are particularly good? All of them are great. All of them are great. I love yep. adding in more nuts and seeds. Um, peanut butter even is fantastic. Peanut butter. That's like my most American <laughs> thing about me is like, I yep eat peanut butter every day yeah um seafood two to three times a week obviously unless you're allergic um and um for people with uteruses or honestly if you're going to carry the child choline is helpful if you're not going to carry the child um choline choline isn't as big of a deal so choline is um a nutrient that will probably eventually get classified as a B vitamin. Nutrition science is just still a new science. So we don't know where to put it yet. It's really okay. like, it looks kind of like a B vitamin, but we don't really know. Um, but it is really helpful for fetal brain development Ooh. and um, it's found in eggs. So eating more eggs can be really beneficial. Um, but that obviously is a link in a do anything if you're going to be the one that's actually carrying the, the child. And could that be like an egg is like Okay, I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm asking a very specific question. Does that okay. mean like with the egg um can that does that have to be cooked in a specific way or is it just like eat eggs? Doesn't matter. Well, please cook them. Please cook them. <laughs> yes. Sorry. I no raw eggs. No raw eggs. But like is does it matter if it is like no. hard boiled versus scrambled versus mm-hmm. like over easy? Nope. It does not. It does not. For in fact like 
Um, I find like waffle pancake and muffin batters, they can always take an extra egg. So I always encourage people to just add an extra bit egg to that batter. Awesome. Um, okay. That's a great way to increase protein and choline. Um, and we're talking about like the whole egg. It can't just be like the egg whites. It needs to be the whole egg with the yolk. The yolk is where the choline is. The yolk yeah. is where the choline is. There we go. Okay. Exactly. But the egg white is going to still have some good protein and stuff. So those are some really basic things. Um, eating a little bit more whole grains is great. Um, adding in your beans and peas. That's also really great too. Um, but honestly, if you take away nothing besides fruits and vegetables, and then this next piece of advice, you're fine. Eat consistent meals, just eat, eat your breakfast, eat your lunch, eat your dinner, get a bunch of different food groups on there, focus on variety and adding in versus taking away. Um, when you're eating consistent meals and snacks, it's going to help you meet your body's energy needs and your reproductive system needs a lot of energy to be fully functional. And it's also going to help you have better blood sugar balance. And it's going to help you stay out of the binge restrict cycle as well. When you're adequately nourishing your body. As somebody I look who, deeply into Laura's eyes. <laughs> as somebody who was uh, a teenager in the early 2000s, you are saying things that like, I can even feel myself going like this, this what? No, this is, this is like the opposite. Like it's, it's, I can feel my body having an allergic reaction to it. But then like, I'm as my 35 year old self trying to be like talking to my 16 year old self, like you fucking listen to this. You're going to listen to this right now. Okay. <laughs> You're going to eat. We're not playing this game anymore, kid. It's it's just wild. I'm like, it is. the eating disorder brain is there and it's just not happy with this conversation right now. And I'm mm -hmm. gonna fucking deal with it, kid. You're gonna yep. listen. True Laura's gonna win this fight, win this fight. She's gonna, she's gonna eat. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm going to eat. I I have actually eaten uh well today. I'm working, I'm working very hard. I'm trying to uh I, I did my my Trader Joe's run, so my freezer right now is packed, filled with stuff. Love that. Love I love that. me my Trader Joe's. Like that to me is my that is my secret weapon into eating. As long as I have Trader Joe's like fully stacked in my freezer, then that's then I can do my meal prep. Mm -hmm. My heart's delight. Um so I have, okay, so so two more, two more things. Um, when it comes to, because I think that like, I don't know if this is going to be within your field, but like my, my mom, when she was in the midst of trying to get pregnant with me, she was on hormone therapy for like three years. Mm -hmm. And it this was during the eighties. And a lot of stuff was like very experimental still. It was awful. Like, I, I don't know the torture her body was going through at that yeah, time. I can't imagine that. It was, and then she also had like two surgeries, one full reconstruction. Um, and she talks about the hormone therapy, the, the hormones and the the fertility shots and everything. Like she had the the thing where like they stuck it in the orange and then they stuck it in her. Like she did that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, like my dad was giving her shots every day. In your, what have you because for her, it was still so experimental that there were so mm -hmm. many adverse side effects. From what you're seeing with your patients, when they are taking these also, they're, they're getting these synthetic hormones. Mm -hmm. um, are things still experimental? Is it a little bit safer now? Is it a little bit better now? Because like for me, the, the stories that I hear are from recipient parents who are a bit older, who did donor conception mm -hmm. much more in like the 70s, 80s and 90s. Whereas obviously I, I hope it's a little bit different, but this is an area in which that I'm still kind of learning about. 
Yeah. You know, I don't know if I can totally speak to that in its entirety, but what I have seen is that, um, side effects tend to be not terrible, but still pretty uncomfortable. Usually it's a lot of bloating. It's a lot of nausea, um, and constipation. So it seems like most likely we've gotten better at dosing appropriately, um, based on a patient's anatomy and all that kind of stuff. It's it's still totally possible to get OHSS, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Yeah. Um, and that happens. I, I'm not sure what the statistics are for that, but I've had more than one patient. Um, um if anyone it. is interested in those statistics, please check out the episode with Dr. Diane Tober. Um, she is the one who researches all of it. So if you are interested in learning more about that, please go check out that earlier episode from the season. She is amazing. Um, yeah. Is it, do you, again, and I asked this question going, you, you, and the answer might be, you just don't know, and that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. Do you, because obviously I know with IVF, hormones are needed. Like we have to do some in, in order to enact egg retrieval. Yeah. But in terms of, I would say, working on other fertility problems, do you feel like hormone therapy is to push too much? Whereas like what you do should be like at least a first trial run, or do you feel like it is appropriately prescribed? Honestly, I don't see hormone therapy being used really all that often at all, okay. unless we're talking about clomid or letrozole, which are used to stimulate ovulation. Um, and there might be other cases where somebody might be entering premature menopause and um, kind of need fertility treatment uh, or excuse me, hormone treatment in that mm-hmm. regard. Um, and then honestly, I actually feel like I don't see it used enough for people with low progesterone. Um, I feel like that's a new area of research where we um, see people having recurrent miscarriages and we're not as liberal with using progesterone replacement therapy in early pregnancy to help people keep a pregnancy. Um, But I think that um, sometimes Clomid and Letrozole um, do get kind of prescribed right away, but that's because they're a medical doctor, right? That's their field. People are coming to them looking for help. Um, And so what I would prefer is if they said like, Hey, like Clomid letrozole probably down the line for you. Do you want to see a dietitian concurrently? Um, first, like, what would you prefer and offer that option? I think that would be fantastic. Yeah. But that requires communication, which we have gone over might not be like top of the list. Um, (laughs) as we sort of, we, we wind down. Um, so we, we have discovered that like, you know, I, I, I thoroughly love how, like all the science terms that have been um, thrown out there. And obviously I am like so out of my my lane in terms of like all of the amazing terminology that you have used. Are there, is there anything that you would like to add? Is there a, a something that I have not asked you in which that I would have needed some scientific knowledge in order to ask you? <laughs> um, what, what, what is something that I have missed that you would love to add? Yeah. I think one other, as I was thinking, you were asking me like, what are some things that people can do that are, uh, that don't cost a lot of money. And, um, as we kind of moved on the conversation, I was like, Oh, I should have mentioned that. And I was thinking about endocrine disrupting chemicals. So an endocrine disrupting chemical is a chemical that's in our environment. They're literally everywhere. They're in the air, the water, the soil everywhere, but they're chemicals that can affect our hormonal health. They can affect fetal and embryonic development, um, child cognition, our metabolism, lots of different things. 
There's a lot of fear mongering around endocrine disrupting chemicals that makes people freaked out feeling like they have to buy only these like clean beauty lines or um, like switch out their laundry detergent and do all of that kind of stuff. But the EPA actually has great resources on their website around ones that are actually definitely harmful and where they are. Um, and of okay. course, you know, even though it's government information, it hasn't <laughs> made it into practice, mm -hmm. um, but like plastic is um, a really big source of that. And it's not like we need to completely avoid plastic, but you know, not putting plastic in the microwave, just using like a ceramic or a glass dish instead is a really fantastic way to reduce your exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals. Um, choosing a stainless steel or glass water bottle instead of a plastic one, um, or vacuuming your home. We track dust in from the outside world that contains these chemicals and vacuuming can just kind of help reduce our exposure in that regard. These are ones for kind of the average everyday person to do that are extremely helpful. Um, but it's also something that's important to think about if you work in an environment where you're exposed to a lot of different crazy chemicals on the daily, like you work in a nail salon or an auto shop or some sort of factory. Those are places where talking to your doctor and your employer about like ways to protect yourself is super important. Um, and that's kind of a reproductive justice thing, because I think that is um, like people don't have access to that information that they should have access to. Oh, that is I'm I'm now I don't I'm sure I, I don't know if everybody else just suddenly was like, when was the last time I fucking vacuumed? <laughs> oh, God, all of those and what was the term endocrine disrupting endocrine chemicals? disrupting chemicals. So endocrine means like that's your hormone system. Yeah. So you can think about their their chemicals that can disrupt your hormones. <laughs> I'm now going to be psychotically vacuuming around my house going like we have to get the endocrine disrupting chemicals now like it's just gonna be this is now gonna be like the new it's good this will get me to clean more this is great um but yeah now I'm just going like oh my god vacuuming yeah that we're gonna have to do that immediately yeah. um Mackenzie thank you for coming on I know this was a a definitely a big uh change of pace for everybody uh listening to my podcast but I think for us to fully understand the impact of the fertility industry how this works especially when it comes to donor conception we need to look at all different sides of it um and also um wanted people to get to know you and hear you so if they are looking for inclusive fertility help um that they kind of know where to that they know where to turn to which is needed because we need more resources that are going to cut down on fertility trauma I appreciate that thank you for saying that I think I'm of the same opinion that there's a lot being sold to you know women in particular um what? about the ways that we need to change our body sizes um, and there's a lot of pressure that we need to be perfect in a lot of different ways. And so I'm here to help you not feel like you have to be perfect, but also figure out ways that you can support your body and your reproductive health. So yeah, thank you for what you do too. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, as, as always, I, I say that I am the chaotic sperm donor baby of the podcast world. And we are, <laughs> we're, we're trying to, you know, create some helpful disruption that needs a little bit. We, we need to 
we the, the fertility industry needs a little bit of a shakedown and needs to kind of go like we we need to shake things up guys because it's not it's not working it isn't it's just the only person it's working for is the doctor it's not working for the patients and it's certainly not working for donor conceived people uh and i think that there's a lot of people out there a lot of recipient parents who really would like a little bit more of a i'm going to say some nourishing care yeah that you would provide mm -hmm. uh where can they find you yeah. So I am on TikTok. My um, handle is at fertility.prenatal.rd and Instagram too. It's just longer at fertility.prenatal.dietitian. And um, my website is www.feedyourzest.com. That's the name of my business. I love that. And you are in North Carolina and can anybody see you um, through Zoom or do they have to be in North Carolina? Um, It depends on the state. <laughs> Because regulation around nutrition care is wild uh, okay, and state dependent. Right. Um, but you can feel free to shoot me a message. And I know which states I can see people or not see people. Um, and I do have um, some online, I have like two different online courses as well that okay. um, one might be helpful if you don't have Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance um, and you don't feel like you can afford my full private pay packages. I have those that are a little bit more affordable, but also helpful for people who, um, can't, um, see me because of license laws in their state. So we'll, we'll work around it, but generally across the U S just shoot me a message and I'll tell you if I can see you or not. I love it. All right. Well, thank you, Mackenzie. And thank you for all the support you're providing for recipient parents. Uh, I appreciate it as as someone who deals with the 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 troubles on the other side of it. Um, so thank you and have a delightful, nutritiously filling day. And let's let's add things in. Let's not subtract. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.